Amen. Please have a seat. All right. Hey, grab a Bible. If you need a Bible, raise your hands. Our ushers can grab one for you if you do need a Bible. But I would encourage you to open up to the book of John. The book of John in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I'd encourage you at home, open a Bible up also. Turn on a Bible if you're into the app thing. But we're in John today. We are actually beginning a study through the book of John. And, um, you know, John is part of, if you want, it's, it's kind of part of a, a group of books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, called the Gospels. And these four books specifically um, detail the life of Christ when he was on earth. And, and John, the first chapter of John is actually completely different than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Because in like Matthew and Luke, they open up by talking about the Christmas story, all right? Jesus' birth and, and the wise men and the shepherds and everything. Mark, he, he begins by uh, the ministry of Jesus and, and Jesus and, and John the Baptist and Jesus coming on the scene. John... He does some, something completely different. He's like, you know what? Um, I'm going to jump into the supremacy of Christ right off the bat. He's just like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to jump out of the gate and just show how awesome Jesus really is. And you know, and as I thought about this this week, if you kind of think about it, um, Jesus really is the most radical, um, awesome person to ever live. Because, I, I, I mean, um, more books have been written about Jesus than any other person. More um, music has been written about Jesus than any other person. More um, movies or drama have been written about Jesus than any other person. Why is it that the name of Jesus ha- can, can, can stir up so much trouble than any other name in history? All right, I'm telling you, those of you who have high school students, if your student, if your child went to school and said, hey, can we do a study on Alexander the Great? How much trouble do you think they would get in? You, would, would anybody have any problem with a, with, a, with a student going, can we study Alexander the Great? Can we study about, um, about um, Genghis Khan? Okay, I, I like to, but if your child went to school and said, hey, can we do a study and read some books on Jesus Christ? It would be shut down immediately. Why is it that Jesus is so controversial? Why is it that Jesus can divide people? Why is it that, that Jesus, why doesn't he just fade into history like every other great leader, like Alexander the Great or Napoleon, okay, or Julius Caesar? We know these names, but um, the name of Julius Caesar doesn't stir up the nations, why is it that Jesus does? Why is he such a, pre, uh, such a preeminent figure in history that doesn't just fade away like anybody else? And it's because of this, his supremacy. Because of who he is. And that's what John here in chapter 1, actually, the first 18 verses is really all about. The supremacy of Christ who he is. And so today I want to look at four things about the supremacy of Christ and who he is. And so here's the first thing. Let me actually, let me read through these um, first five um, verses and give us the context of what we're going to be looking at. So in John chapter one, starting in verse one, 
It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was nothing, was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So here's the first thing that I want us to see about the supremacy of Christ, who Jesus is, and it's this. Jesus is the revealer of God. Jesus is the revealer of God. Now notice, it says there in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Three times, the Word, the Word, the Word. Okay, In verse 2, it says, He was in the beginning with God. If you even jump down to verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh. Now, we know, we know where John's going here. Okay, we know the the person who he's talking about, even though he doesn't say his name until verse 17. And the person he's describing is who? Jesus. Okay, we know that's who he's talking about. But notice he describes Jesus as the word. Okay, the word in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh. Why is he describing Jesus as the word? What does he mean by that? Anybody other than me ever read that and go, what in the world is that talking about? Why is he describing him? The, you know, in the beginning was the word. The word. How many of you just read that and go, okay, I, I don't understand that. Let's just move on. Okay. I'm going to tell you these first three, four, five verses um, are deep. Okay. A lot of theology in here. And I, I'm, gonna, I'm not the sharpest tack in the box. I'm going to try my best to give it to you. There's a, lot, there's a whole lot of better theologians than I am who can explain this, but um, I'm for, you guys got me, okay? So, so I, I've prayed diligently on this, so I'm praying that, that I can explain this and bring it to you that you get it and you see it. And so John is describing Jesus as the Word. So why is he the Word? What does that mean? Well, it, let's first just get an understanding of what the definition of words are. What are words? Ever thought about that? What are words? Words? Here what your, here's what your words are. Your words are nothing more than communicating your thoughts. Think about that for a moment. Does anybody know what you're thinking if you don't speak? No. Nobody has no idea what you think if you don't speak. But the moment you start to say things, the moment you start to speak, people know what you're thinking. I'm trying to communicate what I've been thinking all week. And the only way, the only vessel I have to communicate what I've been thinking all week is what? Through words. So guess what Jesus, as the word, does? He reveals the thoughts of God. You know, in Romans chapter 11, verse 34, and 1 Corinthians 2, 16, it asks a very interesting question, and it's simply this. Who has known the mind of the Lord? It's a rhetorical question, because here's how many people have known um, the mind of the Lord. Zero. Nobody knows the mind of God. 
Nobody. Nobody knows the heart and, 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 and the thoughts of God. So in order for God to truly make known to man what he wants them to know, what he's thinking, guess how he has to do it? Through words. And so guess who became that vessel? Jesus. Jesus becomes the vessel, the word. And it's through Christ that he begins to reveal as as uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 7 says, he begins to reveal the, the, the secret and hidden wisdom of God. Jesus becomes the vessel, the primary way that he communicates what God needs to say to man. He is the word. He communicates what's in the heart and the mind of God. He tells us the thoughts of God. He becomes the conveyor of who God is and what he is like, okay? Without the word, we don't know who God is. Without the word, we have no idea about God. We don't know what God wants. We have nothing, but it has to be the word. Christ is the word. But now notice it says, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning, question, in the beginning of what? beginning of creation before anything came into being before the vastness of the universe before every every heavenly body before the the earth was formed and and every plant and animal and then man before anything was the word was it's getting thick isn't it this is deep. Bef- and, and this is where our little minds cannot even begin to grasp this. Our finite mind cannot grasp infinite, okay? And so, be- and, and so before, you know, when you look up at the vastness of the universe, okay, and, and, and you, you go out at night, the universe, you get up out of the, the, the earth, it's black, okay? And, and, and I, I try to think about this. I, thought, I think I was going to blow a fuse. If you could take the universe and wipe it away, what is there? I have no idea. Because if you have the blackness of universe and you got rid of the universe, what do you have? I don't know. But here's what I do know. John is saying, before all of that, the word was. The word was. It was already Okay, the word was eternal. It, 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 is for, it was then and it will for always will be. It is eternal. It, there was no beginning with the word. It, it, it was always was. You and I can't understand that. We can't even begin to understand what infinite means. But the word was. But notice... He keeps saying this, the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was with God. Now he attributes the word to a pronoun. He attributes that this thing called the word was a he, defining it as a person. And even in verse 14, it says, the word became flesh. 
So as I said, we know this, John is going to ultimately be talking about Jesus. We know that this whole, that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the New Testament is all about Jesus. We know that. But here, John is saying um, the word is a he. So if we know this is about Jesus, why did not John go, in the beginning was Jesus? And Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. He, Jesus, in the beginning was with God. Why did he not in verse 14 say, and Jesus became flesh? He doesn't. He says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was he, the word, became. Am I confusing you yet? Here's why. Here's why Jesus is not mentioned here, but the word is. Because he, the word, the eternal he, before earth, before he came and became flesh, was not known as Jesus. Jesus is his earthly name. Because if you remember, when when the angel spoke to um, Joseph, he says, you will bear a son and you will what? Name him Jesus. The eternal person, the word, is his eternal name. Not Jesus. Before he came to this earth, he was known as the word. In fact, in the book of Revelation... Chapter 19, John, again, he is, this is the revelation of Christ, the entire book of Revelation. And in Revelation 19, it says this, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it was called Faithful and True. Who is he describing here? He's describing Jesus. Jesus' second return. He's describing an event that when he sees heaven open, Christ is going to return again to this earth. But he doesn't say the name Jesus. He says the one sitting on it was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. Here it is. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. I know. Mind-blowing. I read this this week, and I'm like, I had never known that. So Jesus, we know him in his earthly form as Jesus, but in his eternal form, he is the word. I know. It's hard to grasp this stuff. I mean, yeah, a man is like, oh, I just blew a fuse. We are. We're going to blow fuses on this, okay? But you and I can just, we just, you see, the, suprem- the supremacy of Christ. What makes him such a, 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 a what, what has made him so, like, out above anybody else? The, the, there's no other leader that has ever faced this earth that has made an impact like Christ. Why? Because of his supremacy. He is the revealer of God. Why? Because he is the word. 
And so the supremacy of Christ, he is the revealer of God. Here's the second thing. Jesus is God, yet distinct. Now, for just for our purposes, I'm going to be using the name Jesus instead of the word because I'm like, I don't want y'all to be really like confused. So I'm just going to be saying Jesus. Is that okay with everybody? All right. So Jesus is God, yet distinct. So again, John writes, he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Okay, another, another mind-blowing thing here. You have, so, 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 so Christ, eternal, before anything was created, he already was. But it says that he was with God. Oh, but that's not enough. He was God. How does that work? How, how, how does someone... Say, no, I, I'm over here by myself. Oh, but I'm also here as him. How does that work? I don't know. But this is what we know as the theology or the doctrine of the Trinity. Okay? A triune God. What we mean by the Trinity, and you will not ever read the word Trinity in the Bible. But you see, you, you see like things showing the Trinity. And what I mean, what, and when you hear the word Trinity or triune God, what that means is that there is one God, but in three very distinct personalities, very distinct persons, okay? So when it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, if we just, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, but Jesus was God. He is showing the Trinity here that, that <laughs> I'm telling you, I don't get this, guys. Jesus was God. Everything about him was God. But he was also a distinct, separate person. I know. It's hard to grasp, isn't it? And that's why I try, to, I try to always illustrate it with an egg. The egg is, for me, the best illustration because if you take an egg, it's one egg. But if you broke that egg apart and you, 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 you took the shell, and how many of you are, 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 are bakers and you got to separate the egg white from the, the, the yolk? Okay, you break the shell and then, and then you start separating the yolk and then you have the, the white, so you got the egg shell, the egg yolk, and the egg white. Now, when they're all together, it's one egg, isn't it? But when you have the shell by itself, you have the yolk by itself, and you have the white by itself, is any one of those three parts less an egg? No. But they have a distinct quality about them, doesn't it? Is the shell the white? No, the eggshell is not the white, and the yolk is not the white. The white is not the shell, but yet they are all still an egg, okay? And so when they're all together, one egg, but you put them separately, they are still an egg, but they each have something distinctly different about them. The white is distinctly different than the yolk, the yolk is distinctly different from the shell. The shell is distinctly different from the yolk and the white. But yet you put them all back together, you have one egg. That's the Godhead. 
this triune God, a God that you and I, there is only one God, but three distinct separate persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, but all three still God. You've got a finite mind, and you cannot grasp infinite things. This is why we just by, we got to go, okay, I, I, I don't understand it. I don't really, but I see it. You see, but here's the thing. There are some Christians who don't teach a trinity. They don't teach, teach that there's one God with three distinct um, persons. What they do teach is this thing called uh, modalism. And modalism is this, where people who teach this, that modalism is one God, one person, but... Um, but the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are just simply different modes or different forms. What modalism teaches is that there's one God, but manifests himself in a different form. Like in the Old Testament, modalists teach that this one God manifested himself as the Father. When Jesus was on earth, this one God manifested himself as the Son. Now this one God is manifesting himself as the Spirit. Okay? It's, it's, it's um, heresy. It completely goes contradictory to what the Trinity teaches. And one of the most famous pastors in the, in the United States right now, T.D. Jakes, is a modalist. And if you listen to T.D. Jakes, I would say you need to stop. Because he teaches modalism and not the Trinity. Modalism is a heresy. Okay? Because the Bible makes it very clear. John is making it very clear that Jesus is God, but yet he is very distinct. He is God, but he is also his own person. The Holy Spirit, completely God, but separate. The Bible makes it very clear that there is one God but three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And that's why it's not enough to say, like the Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons, that Jesus is a God. No, Jesus is God. It's, more, it's, it's, it's not enough to say that, that Jesus has God-like character. It's, it's not enough to say that Jesus, he has divine qualities. None of that is right. No, Jesus is divine by being the fact that he is God, but yet distinct. You see, and that's the supremacy of Christ. That's why he is so awesome. That's why someone like Julius Caesar or, or Genghis Khan or, or any of the kings of Britain cannot stand even close to Christ. Because Jesus is God, yet distinct. And that makes him supreme. Now, let me give you guys a pop quiz. So, Edwin, don't bring up point number three yet. Not yet. Pop quiz. Who, who feels really smart this morning? Anybody? I'm not going to say anything. I know where you go with that pop quiz stuff. I'm going to have to pick on someone. Adam. Because you are a smart individual. You're a principal, man. Adam? <laughs> Who created everything? 
God did. So Adam said, how do you know God created everything? So the Bible tells us we're at in Genesis. See, you pass, flying colors. So Adam says, Adam says that according to Genesis 1-1, that God is creator. So God created everything, okay? Well, here's my next point. Write this down, number three. Uh, the supremacy of Christ is this, that Jesus is creator and sustainer of everything. Now, some of you are like, okay, now, Jim, you better prove that. I will, okay? Look at verse 3. Let me just begin. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and in the beginning He was with God. Here's verse 3. All things, how many things? All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. I could stop right there with that verse and be done. Because that simply just told me, Jesus made all things. Now, Jim, you just said Adam said. Adam said God created all things. So how can God create all things? And now John says that Jesus creates all things. So is, is John wrong? And, and No. Genesis 1.1 and John 1.3 are both right. You see, this is why you need to know and try to understand the Trinity. That there is one God but three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. As I said, each of those three, very distinct and their own person, but each one of them completely God. So in Genesis 1.1, when it says, in the beginning God created, that word God in Hebrew, because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the word God in Hebrew comes from the Greek word Elohim. And that word Elohim is written in a plural form. If you know your English, anything that is written in a plural form means what? Two or more are there. Okay? So when it says in the beginning, God, Elohim, in plural means there's two gods there. God the Father, God the Son. Both simultaneously creating. Jesus created. But here's the thing. God the Father created through Christ the Son. That Christ the Son became the creator. Let me show you some other scriptures just to, just, just to pad my, make me safe here. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. He, describing Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to us 
um, spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. 2 Peter 3, 5 says, The heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water, and through water by the word of God. Okay? You see, Jesus became the agent of creation. God the Father was the creator, but he created through God the Son. So in the beginning, Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, or, uh, in the beginning God created, God did create. But both of them created God the Son and God the Father together. In fact, if you look at Genesis 1-1, because Elohim is plural, denoting two, so God the Father and God the Son, and when it says that the Spirit was hovering, you have all three there at creation. See, this is why modalism really blows me away, how they can say that, that, that there can't be three distinct. Okay, Because even at creation, you have three distinct individuals there, and at Jesus' baptism, you have... Three distinct. You have God the Father saying, Behold my Son. And you have God the Son in the water. And then you have God the Holy Spirit descending upon him. Three distinct, but yet one. And so when it comes to creation, you still have God the Father creating, but he's doing it through God the Son. Anybody ready to go home yet? Need a nap? Okay. Well, hopefully we can get a little bit easier here now. But here's the thing about Christ. Not only is he creator, but I also said he is sustainer. All right? He is the creator of everything, but he is also the sustainer of everything. In the book of Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says, He is the radiance, meaning Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And Colossians chapter 1, verse 17 says, And he is before all things, meaning Jesus, and in him all things hold together. How many of you know um, that anything you can touch, your seat, your body, everything you can touch is created out of what? Do you know? Atoms. Okay? The smallest particle apparently that, that you can't see. Atoms. An atom has a nucleus, and that nucleus has things called protons and neutrons. And around that nucleus flies electrons. And this is an atom, and this is what it does. Now, here's the thing. These electrons hold a negative charge. The protons in the nucleus hold a positive charge. So guess what should happen when you have, if, think of, a, of, of two magnets. You take a negative side of a magnet and a positive side of a magnet, and what happens? They collide, and they come together. Well, here's these atoms, positive protons, negative electrons flying around it, and guess what they don't do? Attract. They don't collide together. You would think that these negative protons and or these negative electrons and these positive protons would be so attracted they would just and explode. Also, the protons in the nucleus are positive charged, and there's usually two or more protons in a nucleus. And if you take two positive things, what happens? They repel. Not these. 
they stay together. In all reality, an atom should not be able to hold together. Everything in the universe should explode because the negative and the positives should attract exploding. The two protons should repel exploding, but they don't. Why? Now, I know if you read nuclear physics and, and all the, they're going to give you a lot of the, it, I just go back to the, me, I, I want to keep it simple. Jesus holds everything together. He's holding it together. When he created and he created everything, he still holds it together. You know, I was just even in my office this morning just kind of thinking about our solar system. Not even the universe, just our solar system. You know, you got the sun, and then, then now depending on what side of 2006 you land on, um, there's nine planets or eight planets. For me, there was always nine because Pluto. But 2006, Pluto got the boot. The science is like, that's not a planet anymore. So now there's only eight planets. Now, here's the thing about this. If you really think about this, you have these eight planets that stay in the same rotation around the sun. Perfectly around the sun. And they just keep rotating. Our moon and the earth stay exactly at the same distance. Because if the earth got any closer or farther away from the, the, the earth, the earth would either burn up or go ice cold. That quick. The amount of oxygen that you breathe in your lungs is that the precise amount, anything upper or lower, we would all die. But, the, but our solar system is perfectly aligned. But here's the thing. How many of you like, listen to the news and they go, there's an asteroid coming? And, and, and we're not sure. How, but how many of you know those asteroids are just hurtling through, the, through space? And they get into our solar system. And here's the thing. As, as all of our planets are doing this, an asteroid comes into our solar system and it doesn't start aligning with everybody else. It's not like it goes, oh, I got to get, and it starts going around the sun. It just buzzes right through and it'll pass through all the planets, pass the sun and continue on. How is it that all of our planets stay in perfect unity and alignment around the sun all these years, all these millennia, and haven't just like, because because I sit and go, the, the the International Space Station is so many miles up in the space past the Earth. If they have to do a moon or a spacewalk, they get their gear on, and the very first thing they do when they get out outside the aircraft is what? Do you know what they do? They tether themselves to the space station. And here's why. It, you know, they clip it on, clip it to themselves, because if they were to go oh, and fall off, and they're starting to, th that thing would go clink, and would keep them from floating away. But yet, our Earth and all of these planets and our moon, why doesn't it just float away? Anything else in space is doing what? Floating away. Anything that flies into our solar system is just floating away. But not the earth, not the moon, not Mercury, Venus, Saturn, Mars, none of these. Perfect alignment. 
and just rotating like this around the sun. Again, people will say, well, it's because of the gravity in the sun, it's the gravity in the earth, the gravity in the moon holds everything together. Yes, it's exactly right because Jesus created this thing and he knew exactly how it holds together and he holds it all together by the power of his word. You see, we serve and we have a God that is holding things together. But here's, let, let's bring this down to a personal level. If he can hold all these things together, you think he can hold your life together? But Jim, why is, such, why, why is my life such a mess? I can't give you the answer to why it is a mess. I can't give you the answer to why someone died. I can't give you the answer as to why you have cancer. I can't give you the reason why you have lost your job or whatever it may be. I can't explain why you're going through the storm, why you're going through the pain, why you're going through the trial. I can't, I can't tell you why, but I do know this, that Jesus is still holding it together. He still has you. It may not look like it from our point of view. It, it may not sound like it, and it may not be like... I, because we're so, want, we want, when we think of Jesus holding my life together, everything is good. My, man, everything should be blessed. And, and, I, and my kids are serving Jesus and, I, and money's really good and, and my job's going well. And everything should be right. But when things are going wrong, we think Jesus, is, he's lost it. And he hasn't. If he can hold these protons together and the chaos that is going on in the universe, can I tell you, he can hold your chaos together. Can you trust him in it? Can you say, God, I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. But Jesus, I trust you. And I believe that you are supreme. And I believe that you are God Almighty. And I believe that, that as you are the creator and the sainer of everything that I can see and, and the things that I can't, I can trust that you are still the creator and the sustainer of me, of my life. And in that, I put my trust. Here's the fourth thing. The fourth thing about the supremacy of Christ is this. Jesus is the source of life and light. He is the source of life and light. So in verse 4, it says, In him, Christ, Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So John tells us that Jesus brings two things, life and light. The first thing he brings is life. And, and the life that he's talking about here in the context of verse 4 isn't physical life. Because we already saw the physical life that he creates all things. So physical life is just a byproduct of his creation. But the life that he is talking about can't be found in the physical body. The life that John is talking about can't be connected to DNA. The life that he is talking about is not um, related to the world and its standards. The life that John is talking about here is the life that only Christ brings, and that is spiritual life. It is life that goes beyond the natural. It goes, it's the life that goes beyond the here and now. The life that he's talking about is the life that he brings in the relationship we have with God. The life that he's talking about is the real purpose that you are here on this earth. Have you ever had anybody ask you, what's the meaning of life? Why am I here? What's our purpose? The reality is, is this. Your purpose is to have a relationship with God. But you see, the thing is, we live in a world, and this thing that crawls around and is a cancer to this world is sin. 
And when sin came into the picture, guess what? It robbed us of our real meaning of life. It robbed us of our real purpose of life. It robbed us of the relationship that man had with God because sin breaks that relationship and we are all separated from God. And that's why people try to find life apart from God. And we think we can. So what do we do? Well, you know what? When, when I'm a teenager, when I'm a, in my 20s, when I'm single, you know what? I'm just going to have sex, more sex with people. We think that, is, that sexual relationships, that's where I find life. Or, you know what? I get married. Well, this person's not making me happy. I'm going to marry someone else. Well, this person's not doing it. I'm going to marry someone else. And we jump from marriages to marriages, relationship to relationship, thinking, this is, I'll find life somewhere in this. Or, no, I'm okay with my marriage, but you know what? I'm going to pursue money. It's my career. And so we try, to, we try to climb the career ladder. We try to make more money so we can have more things. And we think we just built my life on money and things, and that's where I find life. But yet, how many millionaires sit there and commit suicide because their money isn't bringing them life? How many of us think we can find life in, in fame or popularity or power? Or, you know, these things, these are where, I, and it doesn't. How many, there are people who truly do have everything the earth can give us, all the world can give, and you'll still have people go, I'm missing something. I just, something's, there's a void still, and that void is simple. We are trying to find life apart from the life giver. Jesus came to bring life, eternal life. And that life comes when you and I realize, wow, I'm lost. You see, that's the light. You see, the, Jesus brings life so we can have eternal life. We can have life that where we can overcome our sin and be freed from our sin and the chains of our sin. That's the life he wants for us. But the reality is, I've got to have the light of Christ to reveal my sinfulness. That's why it says that the light came into the darkness. The darkness that we all live in is the darkness of the world. Not nighttime, but sinfulness. And sin blinds us. Sin is dark. And yet we, we go through our lives day after day walking in the darkness. And the realization is, you... A blind person doesn't know they are walking in darkness. A blind person has to become, have their eyes opened and then a light in the room and realize, I've been in a dark room. And how many of you, maybe this is your story, you, you were just going through life, living life. You, were, you, you, you know what? You live for self. You, realize, you, 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 you were a sinner. You just were just doing your own thing. And then one day you heard the truth of the gospel. You heard, hey, Jesus died for your sin. You heard the truth that you need to, that, that, that your sin will separate you from God for all eternity. But if you confess Christ as your Savior, he'll save you. He'll forgive you, and you'll have that relationship, and you have the life of eternal life and the hope of that. And then the light, like, just comes on, boom, and you see it, and you're like, I get it. And you come to that place where you received Christ as your Savior. But notice also in the text, it says that the darkness, that, that that life and light came into the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. Some of you may have a version that says, and the darkness could not comprehend it. It's actually both in the Greek. Overcoming it means is that Satan, the enemy, cannot overcome this truth of the gospel. No matter how hard he tries, the gospel cannot be overcome. 
And think about that for a moment. Like I said earlier in my, in my message, you can, you can talk about anybody and everybody almost in schools. But man, you start talking about Jesus and it's going to shut down. You can, talk about, you can talk about Julius Caesar at work all day long, but the first time you start talking about Jesus to your coworkers, you're going to have someone get really mad at you. Why is that? Because the enemy wants to shut down the gospel, but the problem is he cannot overcome it. Darkness cannot overcome the gospel. But also it says about comprehension. You can't, the darkness can't comprehend it. See, and this again, people who are living in their sin, people who, who hear the gospel, they hear that, hey, Jesus, they, they don't, they're, they're like, What? They don't get it. It's like their eyes are just blind to it. They don't comprehend it. And that's why, see, that's why you and I have got to be those witnesses for Christ. That we talk and we share the gospel with people. We love people who need Christ. And we just are just simple with them. We just try to present this thing in a way where people are like, ah, I get it. Because I'm telling you, while they're walking in the darkness, they're not getting it. They're not comprehending it. And the only way they comprehend it is when someone comes and tells them. And that's what we're going to see next week in our message with John the Baptist, that he came to be a forerunner of the light. And you see, so that's where you and I are. We have got to be the, 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 the deliverers of the gospel in a way that people can get it. But the truth is the darkness is not overcoming it. And the reality is Jesus is supreme. And he brought light and life through the word. And I'm telling you, no matter what you're going through today, you can, you can stand on who Christ is. You know, we're going to close with the rock won't move. And I just love that song. And so if you would, you would stand with me. And as we sing this song, I would encourage you just to sing this song from a heart of faith. Because maybe you are, you're going through it. And, you know, like I've, like I've said in messages past, you know, with COVID and everything, these have just been rough times, very hard times, difficult times. And, our, and a lot of people's faith has been shaken. And, and, and maybe you have been there. Maybe now even you're, you're just, you're just, you're shaking. You're just like, I'm having a hard time. And I want to tell you, you've got the one, the one rock that's not moving. The one who is supreme in your life, and you can count on him. And so I would encourage you as we sing this song, sing it from a place of faith. Even if you don't feel it right now, you're not seeing things right now, try to feel it. Try, I mean, try to, with faith, believe that your rock, Jesus Christ, is not moving. It's close.